HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VIQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Episode 55, and this time I sat down to speak with Jade Kennedy from the University of Wollongong to learn more about the Gender Ola program and how they are incorporating Aboriginal knowledge and perspectives into the university's curriculum and the difference it's making. At a time when educators are grappling with online teaching, student engagement, and the changing world of work, and hence changes to what's being taught, the work Jade and his team are doing will inspire and challenge you. There is so much we can learn from Indigenous elders, and in doing so, find better ways to teach. This has been one of my favourite interviews, I hope you enjoy learning from Jade as much as I did. Well, it is my very great pleasure to be joined on the podcast this week by Jade Kennedy, who is the Academic Director and Senior Lecturer in Indigenous Knowledges at the University of Wollongong, and he he and his team have created something that's known as the Jindaola Program. And so I'm interested in hearing from Jade the usual questions, who he is and what he does, but particularly more about this program. So, Jade, thank you so much for making the time available to chat. (laughs) Lovely to be here, Claire. Oh, no, it's, it's my pleasure. And um, and as I said, I do always ask people because I'm as interested in them as the work that they do. So can you tell us a little bit to start off with about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, and that's a really lovely way of introducing. See, um, for us Bluffollers, it's it's really important to, to know your name and where you're from. Um, so as you introduce, my name is Jade Kennedy and um, I'm born at La Perouse, and that's um, a really significant um, part of my yarn. I'm born on the mission there, and I lived there until I was about nine years old. And um, at that particular time, it's um, an interesting sort of space in, in the history for Aboriginal people. See, um, in 67, there was the vote, you know, to, to give us citizenship, and that's not ratified until about 71. So eight years before I'm born, um, we don't qualify for a tax file number. We don't qualify for social housing. We don't qualify for public health, you know. And so it's a, a particular period of time where I'm born as the first generation of Aboriginal people to be a citizen in this country, right? And so for us to come off the mission um, in the mid-'80s and our people's 
you know, that we're progressing in many different ways. The land rights movement comes in and our peoples are starting to organise themselves and create services for ourselves and find ways of integrating uh, to our broader society, in a sense. Um, and, and me coming out of that sort of mission space and, and with a lot of family and community and then moving into to social housing, well, it was Aboriginal housing. And at that time, we were part of state government's agenda of not building just um, postcodes, you know, of social housing. So we got dropped in to this, this new agenda of um, social housing amongst private ownership. So 20 blacks from the mission, all of a sudden next to double income, two kids, a dog and a swimming pool, was quite an interesting um, experience for me. And that's where I really have some big memories of, hey, we're a bit different, eh? Um, prior to that, I was around my family and, you know, we was all sort of the same. And I think for me, that's my real um, first memories of school and, and education. Prior to that, um, I, I have, you know, those little memories that most of us do in primary school and little kids, but it was difficult for me, um, not only having to integrate into this new way of living and being, but then also learning within the school system. And so I didn't um, experience school very well at that time. It was very interrupted. I was expelled in year nine. I was sent to live with my nan actually in Maria at that time. And I remember back then we didn't have mobile phones. I used to ring mum. Um, every Friday afternoon, you know, 40 cents and I'll pay phone. I said, Mum, I want to come back home, you know, because it was a very different life in Marie at that time than it was in Wollongong. And um, the the proviso was that I, I came back to school. And you learn pretty quick when you're a teenager. Um, school's not that bad. It's actually pretty cool <laughs> when you've not had the opportunity to go, you know, and I was working and doing different things, picking fruit out of Daraloo um, so I come back home and I, I got back into school and I took it very differently and quite seriously. And that um, at least set me up in the first instance to go to university. And um, I found university quite difficult too when I, I came into that space. It, it wasn't a very safe space. It wasn't very welcoming and I didn't really have any role models. And so I didn't get through my first year um, and it was difficult because I'd already had two kids and I was learning lots of things. And so I ended up um, getting a traineeship and that traineeship just happened to be at the University of Wollongong. Um, and so that, for me, began my journey with the university a little bit differently. Um, see, since then till now, I've been here 20 years in different shapes and forms and I've been a professional staff member and an academic staff member and I've worked in all the different faculties and a number of different business units and it's helped me because, one, the University of Wollongong, um, it sits on my country, you know, it, it sits in the place that I'm from and where my family is and my broader community, but it's also helped me have a little bit of distance from our community organisations and the politics and the things that are occurring within our family groupings and our Aboriginal community around our advancement. And so I'm learning, you know, as I'm sort of journeying through this place and space around a number of different roles that I had and be it faculties or business units that I was working for. And through that journey, I'm, you know, I'm sort of learning that 
institutions such as universities, they don't hold a lot of space for Aboriginal people other than this sort of deficit view of the way in which we can engage in this space, this cultural interface, you know. And for me, it's just been a, a journey of many mistakes, um, some wins along the way. And I think today I'm really proud because we've been able to um, create this, this yarn around Jindaola and create this engagement with um, the entire university really and beyond today, which is, is lovely. And it's the articulation of a lot of um, engagement and investment from not only the university and many of the lovely people within it, but also our Aboriginal community, our elders and our knowledge holders. And I think that it's a beautiful role modelling for the ways in which we can start to increase the displays of Aboriginalities within these sort of Western contra- constructs of learning. Jade, just incredible. And the university is incredibly lucky I think that uh, it's had you there for such a long time, and in those different. Oh no, in those different. Oh no, roles. Amazing, but anyway. <laughs> oh, not at all. I'm sure that's not that's not true. But but what you've seen and learnt and thought about in those different roles that you've had, and that you now bring to the work that you do, I think that's um, incredibly rare and in- incredibly uh, valuable. And you've touched a little bit on gender Ola. And so what I understand about it is, and let's be really frank, not that much, but the stuff that I've read is is hugely interesting. So I understand that it's both a grants program in terms of education development grants. And you've talked Mm. also about how it's about embedding um, Aboriginal knowledge and perspectives across the university curriculum. Um, So can you explain a bit more about both where the concept came from and and what it involves and what it means for both community and for, for the university? Yeah, absolutely, and maybe just help me along. But, see, one of the things for me that became really apparent, um, one of my earliest roles after achieving um, my undergraduate degree was um, as the Aboriginal Employment Officer. And it really resonated with me, this role, because I grew up with my nan saying to me, you know, give a boy a job and see him become a man. And I felt this is the place I need to be. And it was difficult because the way in which we were sort of engaging at that time was from a very deficit view of Aboriginal people. We achieved equality or equity. And what it really felt like was by assimilating Aboriginal people to be present and able to function within the university. And it was a little bit sad for me because I was trying to reconcile these learnings I got from my nan and the things that I'd learned through my degree and then just be able to, you know, perform. This was my first sort of real job, you know, and trying to find ways of making this work to the, you know, to the benefit of my people. And it's hard when you grow up where you're from and you're working where you're from, you know, because all of these people are my family. And I struggled with this equation, you know, this this sort of top-down approach, this give them a leg up and let's make sense of this and how do we articulate what's happening. And, you know, I fumble through and I stumble through and I have a whole bunch of different roles as, you know, we get to this place where I say, hang on a minute, um, we've now got this sort of mandate. It's not It's not purely, 
ingrained in KPIs all the time. But, you know, Universities of Australia were really pushing through their um, Indigenous strategies. We need to increase Aboriginal content within our curriculums. And there's these other reports that are floating around at the time that are saying we need to be engaging, um, you know, our education system in Aboriginal knowledges and perspectives. And my experience of this as a student and then even as an employee within an educational institution was that we were just not getting it right. We were trying, we were finding content and we were pre-packaging it even at times and we were setting it up so it was a bit plug and play and we, we weren't really doing anything other than trying to do these compare and contrast that we cram into week 13 and to be honest it was sort of giving me the shits it was taking away the real authenticity the depth and the sophistication of these knowledges that I'd grown up with you know I've, I've been quite privileged in my life around the ways in which I've been exposed to Aboriginal knowledges and perspectives that sit and live and thrive within country and community. So I'm frustrated, I'm struggling. And as I'd moved through some of these professional roles, I've come into some academic spaces and we started to get opportunities to think about this more holistically and start to engage a little bit differently. And so I achieved this role uh, within the learning, teaching and curriculum unit here at the University of Wollongong. And it was under that impetus. How do we increase um, Aboriginal or Indigenous content within the curriculum? And I, I was sitting with this and, and my particular team at the time, and I said, look, I, I'm not comfortable with this being a, a sort of consultancy where someone who's interested comes along and says, um, can you help me Aboriginalise my subject, please? And you know, then I'm, I'm working with this individual or we're developing something within the curriculum and it just didn't sit comfortably. And I started to have a yarn with this, this group of ladies, actually. They were amazing, you know, and we'd sort of sit and we'd speak and we'd talk and we made the idea up that we'd go for a little retreat together, you know. We went for this little retreat together and I'm having this opportunity to share and I'm, I'm speaking into these ways in which blackfellas would do business and now business for us, that word reflects um, decision-making. You know? How do we make decisions? And how do we make decisions to the benefit and in interest of all the peoples that are involved, all the entities that are required? And as we're yarning this and I'm scribbling on the, the wall and we're doing these things, this, this big jindaola. See, jindaola is um, the name of the, the great Gwana. And in our dreaming here on the coast, Jindaola, see, the markings on his back is knowledge. And Jindaola would walk from place to place. He would carry this knowledge. And where he'd um, stop and sleep, they became the sacred places of um, our people. And for us, see, we understand before contact, you know, that we existed within a knowledge-based economy, that the most wealthy asset within our society was knowledge and that all things relate to knowledge, all things hold knowledge, knowledge sits within country. And then us as people, you know, we become the custodians of that knowledge as we learn it. And so we started to explore this yarn about Jindaola and it allowed me to start to draw the tracks of Jindaola and identify how 
Jindala would move between different knowledges and places of knowledge, and we started to identify how this could operate within a university structure and system. And so as this started to fold out and, you know, get some meat on them bones, I said, oh, hang on a minute, I have to go and speak to my old people. And so I shot off and I jumped in the car and I flew down to Eden and I've got one old uncle there. He's my grandfather, really, in our way, but it's my my grandmother's brother. And I sat down and talked to him and talked to one of his sons. And I said, oh, hang on a minute. And then I, I drove back to Bega and I sat down with an old auntie then and I drove back to Naruma and then I drove up to Maria. And, you know, I drove all my way back up to La Perouse and I'd just pop into different houses and places along the way. And I was socialising it, not necessarily realising at the time, but getting feedback, you know, and, and yarning with them and talking with them and seeing if it was all right for us to be able to bring this whole story into a different way of being and really construct a program around it. Because for me, what it was about is that non-Aboriginal people who had beautiful intent and we're really trying to do the right thing, were working with these knowledges, embedding them to the best of their ability, but they didn't have the underpinning philosophies and understandings of how to hold that knowledge, be with that knowledge, and then share it authentically. And one of the things that I'd experienced sort of growing up in the university, you know, is that this sort of deficit approach is just so present, you know, and it's it repositions and, and sort of devalues and devalidates Aboriginal people because it's just entrenched in this be like us, be be like us, but give us something different. And I sort of, you know, was playing with that too and thinking, hang on a minute, you know, we need to to prepare these people. We need to present them with a place and space that's our way so that they can sit and hold these knowledges and articulate them authentically. And I'd sort of recognised and realised through this space is that we keep using these top-down approaches. What we needed to do was think of the equation a bit differently. It's how do we create space for Aboriginal people and their knowledges? See, even for me as a student, it was difficult, you know, when Aboriginal knowledges presented themselves in the classroom. And... What wasn't happening was a scaffolding and a building around them to make them relevant and make them situate themselves within the discipline. And I sort of came to this place and seen that if we can start to integrate Aboriginal knowledges authentically, then what you can do is start to see Aboriginal students within those classrooms have a reflection of themselves and their lived experiences. And when they start to have this reflection of themselves, they actually become quite powerful, but also valuable within that knowledge exchange, is that then thereafter, they're able to contribute to discussions and dialogues around that particular disciplinary knowledge. They become valuable to a teamwork effort around an assessment or even their own assessments. And so we create space by essentially converting the majority so we'd had this ideology within the institution, let's, let's convert the Aborigine. But we started to shift it into this space where let's convert the majority, create space for our people so that their own knowledges are being reflected back to them and they can start to engage differently. And so we constructed a program that's reflective of the way in which our people do business, where knowledges move between knowledges 
and they have these places of safety where they can co-create and show um, their reflection and acknowledgement of where those knowledges came from. And this program for us, you know, it was a little bit complex in the university system because I said, look, one year's not enough. And I said, oh, we need about two. And I said, two years too long. And all these negotiations begin. And we settled on 18 months. And over this course of 18 months, um, our participants pass through five different phases. And so they begin by mapping their landscape. And then they move through this particular phase to, to finding their way. And, and as they start to sit within that space and construct a way forward and through, they can then walk their way. And then as they've walked their way, they can start to, you know, engage a little bit differently and they can start to talk their walk and then they can come into a space where they share their story. And this occurs over 18 months and it's a, a combination of on country and with community and on campus. And that's also shifted and changed a little bit with, um, you know, the impacts of COVID and needing to transition a lot of our learning and teaching online. It's also, though, given us an opportunity to have reach outside of UOW. And so this year we've also been able to engage UTS as one of these teams of participants that are moving through the program. Um, but that's something, you know, shifted to and adjusted as we've moved through but for me, the program and its authenticity is the way in which it initially just starts to address these different understandings ontologically and epistemologically around what is knowledge. And so we bring people into this place of safety. We use a lot of circle work. We use pedagogies around artefact creations and calls and responses. And, you know, like I said, introducing community, Aboriginal elders, Aboriginal knowledge holders, and allowing our participants to start to experience knowledge differently. And so I started to bring us away from this language of embedding and integrating into a space of building and developing knowledge-based relationships. And for us, that's a really important term, and it sits for us within this agenda or aspiration of building in what we're calling curriculum reconciliation. See, from an Aboriginal perspective, you know, we understand ourselves to be on a lifelong journey of learning. And all of that learning is experienced through reflection and reconciliation of what it is that we've learned. So I know that term reconciliation holds a lot of baggage in some instances for Aboriginal people and a lot of confusion for non-Aboriginal people. But for us, this term curriculum reconciliation and this aspiration that we have within the program speaks to the fact that your curriculum is not just the scaffolding of subjects towards a degree. Your curriculum is embedded in country. Your curriculum is the ways in which knowledge is presented to you through all of your lived experiences. And so we've got this occurring, that we're starting to break down and decolonise this concept of curriculum. And then we've got this idea of reconciliation, this remembering, this cultural memory, this lived experience memory, and then how that is articulated of knowledge and how you can bring, you know, respectfully, authenticity, you know, also with that acknowledgement and reverence, you can bring these knowledges together so that it's, an, you know, a nice little yarn up where not one discipline or one other discipline is edified above another. 
It's that we're experiencing these knowledges together and we're situating them in place and being able to give them both a voice. So the Koori kids are being able to experience some of their own understandings and ways of articulating their knowledge and that non-Aboriginal students are also being introduced and exposed to these knowledges in the appropriate contexts. Does that make sense there? Since oh, it sure does. I am both in awe of what you're doing and just thinking how fortunate uh, the academics at your university and now you say um, uh, UTS as well are to be able to, to learn from you and, um, and elders and then to take that back into their teaching and learning with their students. I just want, yeah, I want to make sure that I'm not positioning myself incorrectly. Like this is not just me. There's, um, you know, a lot of Aboriginal people that have been amazing in their contributions and those contributions are, are just humbling, eh? Like when you see some of these academics, they never met an Aboriginal person before, you know, mm-hmm. and they come in and they sit with them and it's it's a lot slower sometimes or <laughs> a long-winded yarn or whatever. But the real results of this for me is what I see is you start to, you start to identify within these Mulbay that they're, they're personally transforming. This is not just a curriculum transformation activity. People in their own right are, are changing and shifting and their, their values are coming into question. They're struggling sometimes or they're, you know, not sit, well, we, we speak in these terms. Um, they learn to sit comfortably, uncomfortably. And they sit with these people, you know, and they learn from these people and their hard work is the testament to the success of this program. The the participants' hard work is the way in which they reconcile their own personal transformations with the knowledges that they have as experts within their field and then construct a way of respectfully articulating them within their subjects and the ways in which they make space, you know, they, they build some really beautiful, like, lifelong relationships with some of these community members, you know, like they're coming into their subjects or they're working with them behind the scenes or, you know, they're, they're doing these little site visits or tours or things, you know, like they've just created beautiful personal relationships that are able to really inspire um, not only themselves but also the students. See, the, the lovely thing for me is that, yeah, we're getting a whole bunch of subjects changed um, and, you know, we're really proud of how they're, they're grounded and reflective, like really reflective of the Aboriginal people that have been, you know, influencing and impacting those. But, you know, our, our participants are coming away inspired themselves. They're, they've become more creative and innovative in the ways in which they're changing their subjects and curriculum. You know, they're, they're also feeling really supported by the broader Jindala community, you know, like people go through cohorts in this program and those cohorts sort of, you know, matriculate into this alumni and they they come into this broader community of people. And so they feel really supported and sponsored by all of these other people that have shared these experiences. And there's a resilience amongst these people when the rest of the world is a little bit shaky and moving. You know, we've really experienced that through this transition to online where people were feeling a lot of stress and anxiety and this, you know, regularity and this routine and relevance. These are the customs that underpin Jindala and its programming, but these are the customs of the old fella, you know. These are, these are the ones that come through them dreamings and, 
you know, the ways in which our participants have hung on to these customs and, you know, enacted them through this time and been supportive of each other and found ways of sponsoring each other to still maintain integrity around the Aboriginal knowledges they're sharing within their subjects as they've had to transition these things into the online, you know. So those um, protocols, those customs have really shined at these times of shakiness in the world and those customs are also informed by another three R's and that's respect, responsibility and reciprocity. So these are like the values that underpin Jindala and come through again from that story and the ways in which our participants have picked them up and really allowed those to, to become in a new way and a new shape and form through these, you know, shakies and anxious times. For me, you know, it's it's all due to these fellas that this uh, Jindala now is, is a name that's been able to shine for what he really is in the ways in which he informed our peoples from the dreaming until now to relate to country and knowledge and the significances of those knowledges for them to be sacred and significant and special in this day and time. Jade, I, honestly, the work that you and your team and community are, are doing, I am truly uh, inspired by what you do. And while I'm up in Sydney and you're down in Wollongong, at some point I'm coming down to take you out and buy you a because I want to sit down and come, have, come have down a more of a chat. Yeah, for sure. Come down and walk along this country and we'll show you where that old fellow used to sit. And, you know, this is where we take some of our participants to really start to sit with the ways in which these knowledges present themselves within country and then how that becomes relevant for them within their subjects. And, you know, for me, this is a... A, a deep reconciliation, you know, personally, um, professionally, and then for our broader academy. And, and it's a, a lovely way to create space. It's slow work. You know, we think of Jindal, how he moves. Sometimes he moves very slowly and sometimes he moves very quickly. And, you know, we just got to get in there and, and walk with him, you know, and that's the place that we sort of come into and, we're really proud of the ways in which people have afforded themselves to be vulnerable in that space. And I think that's one of the lovely things that we've had the opportunity to do is, you know, it's not that we're all guarded and, but sitting in the silos sometimes means that, you know, we don't really get to experience what others are doing. And, you know, Jindala is grounded in the teams being interdisciplinary. You know, so we've got, say, a faculty and what you're asking for is representatives from different um, disciplinary backgrounds and spaces. And so they become that advocate and that, you know, sort of delegate for that discipline and their responsibility is to take that back to the rest of their, you know, their cohort or their team of, you know, disciplinary thinkers. And then we mix them up with other interdisciplinary teams. So there's this sort of cross-pollination, sharings of knowledges and ways in which we start to build this sort of cross-interdisciplinary stuff occurring. And it's exciting, you know. It's a really cool place to play and engage and then you chuck some community members in and you can see that they might jump between different individuals they've built relationships with and even that enactment starting to break down the barriers of what university is and what university means for our community has been deeply healing, to be honest, because there's been a, 
a segregation of what valid knowledge is. And when you've got non-Aboriginal people creating safe spaces for Aboriginal people to speak authentically about their lived experiences and the knowledges that they learned at growing up in this, you know, history and this complexity and just be validated, you know, just be respected for the ways in which they understand the world and then thereafter find the contributions that they can make to the learning of each other and these kids. Oh, you know, not all our students are kids, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful thing to witness. It's a beautiful thing that you and uh, and your community have have created. And I'm I'm really curious about what next for Jindola and um, and your engage your continuing engagement with with local elders and, and community. Yeah, I think look, we've been running the program for five years now, and each year I say it's a pilot. You know, we're we're testing different combinations of things and finding ways in which we can bring it into being more meaningful and a little bit more efficient and, you know, because just say I've got four different teams looking to work with the one elder around a particular knowledge. So we're always trying to find ways in which we can reduce the burden on our community and our knowledge holders, especially our elders, you know, they're they're elderly people. Um, But what we are finding is there's a great appetite for this within industry and we've had um, opportunities now to be engaging um, with different industry groups and different decision-making groups and really start to build the research around the ways in which Aboriginal approaches to decision-making can start to influence the ways in which we can look at healing and regeneration and autonomous, sustainable communities. And so we've had opportunity recently to work with um, the Illawarra Lake Authority. So... There's a um, decision-making committee that looks at the ways in which environmental decisions are made. And one of the complexities in that space is how you qualify and quantify value. And quite regularly within these decision-making spaces, even though they're environmental, you're looking at real tangible values. And they seem to find themselves get to the end of their sort of consultations and engagements with broader communities and still struggle to articulate intangible values. And we've started to work with these guys around Aboriginal approaches to understanding your landscapes, you know, so we're building on this, um, these phases and these knowledges and these sort of points of initiation that we take our participants through to start to help inform, in this particular instance, environmental decision-based making and this is particularly around um, the Lake Illawarra, but there's been interest from different industries and, and companies within our region. Um, and, you know, Jindola is place-based. You know, you need country to inform the way in which you engage and the knowledges of that country, which is inclusive of people. It's in- inclusive of culture, like all cultures and the ways of doing things. It's inclusive of journey. You know, we've got a, a concept we call maramal. And maramal is our, our way of understanding the world and it informs these approaches. And so what's next for us is to start to build a place and space where we can be researching with industries to better articulate, you know, the validity and the complexity and sophistication of Aboriginal ways of doing business, which, like I said to you before, is ultimately Aboriginal ways of making decisions for the benefit and the edification of all living things. 
the whole aim of the game is to keep all alive, and that includes our relationships and all living things and our way of life and the stories that underpin who we are, where we're from and where we're going. Jade, it has been such a pleasure uh, to hear from you and learn from you. Thank you for the time and all the very best with all the good work that you're doing. Nah, you too, sis. Thanks a lot. It's been lovely to have a yarn with you today.